Our scripture reading is found in the second chapter of the Bible, Genesis chapter 2. Genesis 2, the text, which I will not reread, is verses 18 through 23. This is the holy word of God. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God ended his work, which he had made, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had made. And God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because that in it he had rested from all his work, which God created and made. These are the generations of the heavens and of the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens and every plant of the field before it was in the earth and every herb of the field before it grew. For the Lord God had not caused it to rain upon the earth and there was not a man to till the ground. But there went up a mist from the earth and watered the whole face of the ground. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. And the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground made the Lord God to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food, the tree of life also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And a river went out of Eden to water the garden, and from thence it was parted and became into four heads. The name of the first is Pison. That is it which compasseth the whole land of Havilah, for there is gold, and the gold of that land is good. There is Dalium and the onyx stone. And the name of the second river is Gihon. The same is it that compasseth the whole land of Ethiopia. And the name, <clears throat> the name of the third river is Hittichal, that is it which goeth toward the east of Assyria. And the fourth river is Euphrates. And the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil Thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. Now the words of the text. And the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him and help meet for him. And out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air and brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. And Adam gave names to all cattle, and to the fowl of the air, and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found in help, meat for him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept. 
And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof, and the rib, which the Lord God had taken from man, made he a woman and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. As announced, the text is verses 18 through 23. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, the foundation of our society is not merely shaking, it has been shaking for a long time, but it is right now in our lifetime crumbling to pieces. A few months ago, with the turn of the new year, the highly popular and widely used dictionary.com announced as its word of the year for 2022, woman. Because searches for the word woman spiked last year, and that's due in part to the fact that transgender identity and rights has surged to the forefront of our national discourse. And that's not changing if you pay attention to national news. But not only that, in 2022, a nominee for the Supreme Court, when asked to define woman, refused and said, I'm not a biologist. And so that led to the question, well, what is a woman? And more and more people started turning to the dictionary and looking up woman. And that's not a good thing. That's ominous. It was only a few years ago that officially our society, through the Supreme Court, which has never been done before, officially redefined marriage. And now, we're busy trying to redefine man and woman. And right now, a biological man can stand up and say, I don't care what you think, I don't care what my chromosomes, what my DNA say, I don't care what science says, I don't care what anyone says, I certainly don't care what the Bible says, I feel like a woman. And I want to be a woman. I am a woman, and people are okay with that. And it won't be very, very long if you're not okay with that and you speak against that, there will be severe consequences. What is a... What is a woman? Every single human being knows that a woman is an adult, female, human being. Nobody needs a dictionary. And every human being knows that a man is an adult, male, human being. And every human being knows that a marriage is a lifelong, committed, exclusive relationship between one man 
and one woman. But right now, these most basic terms and concepts of human existence are up for grabs. The foundation of society is crumbling. So tonight, we want to go to the authoritative and unchanging Word of God. What does God say about all these things? And we want to follow the methodology of our Lord Jesus Christ as He taught us when the Pharisees came to him, tempting him about marriage and divorce and remarriage, Jesus said, essentially, I'm not going to talk to you about these things unless we go back to the beginning. If you want to understand something, you need to consider its origin. Let's go back to the beginning. So we read in Matthew 19, verse 4, Have ye not read... You Jews, you all have access to the Hebrew Scriptures. Have ye not read that he which made them in the beginning made them male and female? And Jesus continues quoting from Genesis and quotes from the text that we consider this evening. He went back to the beginning, Genesis. Let's do that tonight. Let's go back to the beginning and may God use the preaching of his word to give all of us, including our young people and our children, stronger conviction so that the foundation of the church does not even begin to shake. Man, woman, marriage. Let's go back to the beginning. Genesis 2, 18-23, we take as our theme, God brings the woman to Adam. Let's look at the act of God. Second, the response of Adam. And third, the significance for us. God's act consists of three parts. And the first part of his act is to awaken Adam to the conscious realization that he's alone. Verse 18. Now before we read verse 18, let me just make clear what sometimes is not always so clear among us. And that is, in Genesis 1 verse 1, through Genesis 2 verse 3, we have a description of the creation of all things in six days and how God rested on the seventh. When you keep reading in Genesis 2 verse 4 and deeper into the second chapter of Genesis, the chronology is not continuing. We're not now reading about day 8 or day 9 or day 10 or week 2 or week 3, but the inspired writer is going back into the first week and particularly that very significant sixth day. And now he will relate to us more distinctly what happened on that sixth day. So on day six, God made Adam. And now we come to verse 18. And the Lord God said, it is not good <clears throat> that the man should be alone. I will make him and help meet for him. It is not good. That's one of the shocking statements of the Bible. Because after everything you read in Genesis chapter 1, it is good. All of a sudden now we have God not only thinking but saying about something, it is not good. What is not good is Adam's aloneness. And it's not good because so long as Adam is alone, he will not be able to fulfill God's purpose for him. And we can understand what's not good about his aloneness from the fact that God will make a woman and bring her to him 
So obviously what's not good is that Adam is, is incomplete. And as long as he's alone, he's not able to express his social nature as a human being. For God made Adam for intimate fellowship with him as God and for fellowship with others who will be like Adam. But nowhere in the Garden of Eden can Adam be able to find anything that could know him and understand him and relate to him and communicate him and live with him in the mutual bonds of love. And so God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. But Adam doesn't know this because Adam has just been created. God is his God. And everywhere he goes in the Garden of Eden, everything he sees and everything he experiences is simply amazing. So God's first act will be to wake him up to the realization, I'm alone. And that's what God does. 19 and 20. And out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air and brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. And Adam gave names to all cattle and to the fowl of the air and to every beast of the field, but for Adam there was not found and help meet for him. Just as God would do later by his almighty hand of providence in bringing to Noah at the ark all these animals, now God by his hand of providence brings to Adam, the king of creation, all these birds and these cattle and these beasts of the field so that Adam can name them. And the calling of Adam here is not to brainstorm and arbitrarily come up with names randomly for this creature or for that creature. It's not as if he looked at a creature we would recognize as being basically that of the shape of a horse and having black and white stripes and saying, what shall I call this one? I suppose I could call it a giraffe. No, I'll call that one with the long neck a giraffe. Zebra. Why don't I call it a zebra? He wasn't arbitrarily picking names for these creatures because they already had a name. By virtue of their creation, they had a name because the name in Scripture is revelatory. The name tells you what the thing is. So God will create this woman, and of course her name will be Eve. She can't possibly be called Mary or Priscilla or Salome because she's the mother of all living. So she has to be called the name that means mother of all living. That's Eve. All of these creatures have a name that reveals what it is. Now with Adam, in the state of original righteousness and with his superior knowledge, he was able to look at a creature and see exactly what it was. He could see the essence of it, the true nature of this creature, and immediately he would know its name. So here come the animals, and now Adam is calling out the name. So verse 19 says, And whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. Not this. And whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that became the name thereof. As if it didn't have a name. Now it comes to Adam and it gets a name. And then it walks away. It already had a name. And whatsoever Adam called out, 
that was the name thereof. And it's in this process then, as all of these animals come by him, that Adam immediately recognizes something to, 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 to. Noah would see the same thing at the ark. Pair, 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 male, female, male, female, male, female. And suddenly it dawns on Adam, I'm the only one who doesn't have a compliment who corresponds to me, who doesn't have one like me. Verse 20, but for Adam there was not found in help meet for him. I don't have one. A helper, a helper is someone who lives with you. They love you. They care for you. They assist you. And that helper is meet for you if that helper meets you at your level, if the helper fits you, has the same nature as you, the same rank as you, the same life as you, the same spirituality as you. But there wasn't anything in the garden that could meet Adam, that could communicate with him. Nothing on earth with whom he could walk as a kindred spirit. And together, both of them, they could know God and love God. They could know each other and love each other. There were birds. They were coming to Adam. And birds are very nice. One could perch on a tree branch above Adam's head, sing a lovely melody to Adam, and that's very nice. Adam would enjoy that. Or maybe the creature we know as a dog. This dog could come alongside of Adam with its thick coat, and Adam could pet that creature, and it could whimper and nuzzle up close into Adam's bosom, and they could be sort of friends. That would be very pleasant for Adam. But there wasn't anything. There wasn't anyone who was meet for him, who could correspond to him. Not even the angels. They have a different nature. And neither was there some hominid from whom Adam had descended in a process of millions of years of evolutionary development. If that were so, Adam could just go back to that ancestor. They would have a lot in common. There was not anything. There was not anyone meet for Adam. And so God's very first act is to wake Adam up to this conscious realization I'm alone. Second, God's act was to make a woman, 21 and 22. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib, which the Lord God had taken from man, made he a woman. First, now, God puts Adam to sleep. And that's not because God will play the part of the surgeon and as he opens up his creature, he doesn't want him to feel any pain. So as if he were administering a kind of anesthetic, now he just puts him to sleep. That's not what God is doing. God could take out all of Adam's ribs without Adam feeling anything if he wanted to. God puts Adam to sleep because God is about to perform the astonishing wonderwork of creation. And when our God creates, He will not have human eyewitnesses. He makes the whole world. And then He makes Adam. And now He's going to make a woman, but before He makes that woman, He takes His man and He puts him to sleep. 
But Adam will not watch. He will not see. There will be no eyewitnesses. And the same thing is really true in the spiritual realm for the Bible, and therefore the canons of Dort refer to regeneration. That first saving work of the Holy Spirit in the heart of the dead elect sinner, whereby the life of Christ is imparted into that heart, regeneration, that's a creation. That's a new creation, a recreation. And you don't experience regeneration. You don't feel it. You don't see it. Regeneration always happens underneath the level of our consciousness. The only way you can know your regeneration is by the fruits thereof. It's a new creation. No eyewitnesses. When our God creates, He will have no human eyewitnesses in order to magnify His Word. The Scriptures. You know that sun coursing through the heavens today? Every human being knows that God made it. Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament showeth His handiwork. Everyone knows God made the sun. When did God make the sun? How did God make the sun? There's not a scientist in the world. There's not a university professor. There's not a minister of the gospel. Adam himself has no idea. Why? Because no one was there to watch. Our God does not have human eyewitnesses when he creates in order to magnify his word. The only way you know the answer to those questions is the Bible tells me so. Now it's the Bible that tells us, and we believe this, God put Adam to sleep. And while Adam is sleeping, God will open him up and take out one of his ribs. And God will take that rib, and according to verse 22, he made, the Hebrew is more expressive, literally, he built a woman. And probably many of you have built something, and then you know that there's a plan, there's foresight, there's attention to detail, there's craftsmanship, there's care, and that's what God did with the rib. He took the rib and he built a woman while Adam was sleeping. He didn't create the woman out of the dust of the ground as he did the man. Had he created her out of the dust of the ground, now we have two. Now we have two independent beginnings of the human race. The whole human race, you and me too, the whole human race comes out of Adam and Eve. And even the woman comes out of the man so that there's one organic head of the human race, all out of Adam. So out of Adam, God builds a woman. And now all of this is leading to the third and climactic act of God, very briefly stated in the text. He takes that woman and he brings her to the man. It's told very simply at the end of verse 22, and brought her unto the man. This is the first wedding of human history, and that's proved by verse 24. The inspired writer will go on to say, Therefore, 
shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. That's the institution of the creation ordinance of marriage for all human beings. And verse 24 doesn't make any sense. With its connecting word, therefore, unless what we have in the text is a wedding, a marriage, then verse 24 makes sense. And that's what we have. The very first wedding of human history and how simple it was. No dress, no suit, no rings, no groomsmen, no bridesmaid, no officiating pastor, obviously no photography. The groom was sleeping. Out of him God builds a bride. He wakes up the groom and brings the bride to the groom, and that's their wedding. They're married, and they come together. Husband and wife. And that's the text. God brings the woman to the man. Now we can go deeper into this great act of God in our consideration of it as we look at Adam's response to it. And we will learn more. Adam's response is found in verse 23. And let's look at two things. First of all, the content, what Adam says And then secondly, the manner, how Adam speaks these words. So first of all, what he says, verse 23, And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Obviously, Adam did not know where this creature had come from because Adam was sleeping. So God must have told him. And now Adam, knowing I'm a man, And this creature was taken out of me, bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. So we read in the text, she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Woman. What is a woman? A woman is a female man. But now understand that we use the word man sometimes to refer to a male and sometimes to refer to a hue man, human. What is a woman? A woman is a female man, or let's be clearer, a woman is a female hue man. She's not an animal. And so do not treat her as one. She's not an angel. And so do not have expectations for her as if she were an angel. She's not a male. Now that is a contradiction. A female, male? She's not a male. A woman is a female human. The human being comes in two versions and only two, and they're distinct. They're different. Genesis 1.27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. Two versions. What is a woman? She's the female version of the human being. 
in the Hebrew tongue, if you want to take a noun and make it feminine grammatically, then you add the ending ah. So in the text we have man, and the Hebrew word for man here is ish. And we have the word woman. And the Hebrew word for woman here is ish ah. Ish and isha. What is a woman? A woman is the ah version of the ish. She's the female version of the man, the human. The glory of the woman as built by God is that, according to the text, she is meat for him, as we saw in verse 20. Ah, this woman now, she's the one who can meet the man. She can meet him at his level. She's of his rank. She's of his nature. She's of his spirituality. She's a rational, moral, spiritual creature with a soul just like he is. She can relate to God consciously. She can relate to Adam consciously. She has a body just like Adam's that is of the same substance. She is meat for him. And yet, for all of the similarities between the male and the female, she is definitely different. She's a distinct creature. And we don't have time this evening to try to articulate all of the differences, but she's different physically. She's different biologically. She's different sexually. She's different emotionally. She's different psychologically. And God made her that way so that she complements the man, so that they fit each other in every way, so that they go together. And whatever he lacks, he finds in her. She's the complement. God didn't create her out of the dust of the ground independently and say, there you go. You see the beautiful garden? Go and do as you please. God made man out of the dust of the ground. God made the woman out of the man. And God took that woman And he brought her right back to the man to be with him and to live with him. A helper who is meat for him so that now in their relationship as husband and wife, he will be head. He will have authority. God made him first. He will name the animals. He will name her. And she will be a helper. And together they will love each other. And they will walk through the Garden of Eden together. The man and the woman, a helper who is meat for him. God certainly didn't make another male so that Adam says, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. He, homosexuality is a vile perversion. He made a woman and he brought the woman to the man. And Adam knew it. What is a woman? Go back to the beginning. She's the female version of the human. She was taken out of the man. And she was brought to the man as the only creature in the universe who fits him. That's what he said. Now let's consider the manner in which Adam uttered these words. When we read verse 23, it reads as a bare statement of fact, at least on the surface, but it's not. This is a cry of delight. 
And that's evident from a couple of considerations, the first of which is the circumstances in paradise. Just think about it. It's day six. God has just made Adam. Adam is now walking around in the Garden of Eden. Everything he sees is beautiful and glorious. It it never would have entered his mind that there would be another human being. He's looking at everything in the garden. Over the course of the day, God will bring to him all these different birds, representatives of different kinds of birds and cattle and beasts of the field. And he's calling out the names of them. And then God puts him to sleep. A very busy first day. God puts him to sleep. And then God wakes him up. And he opens his eyes. And standing there in front of him now is the most marvelous and beautiful creature he has ever seen. It is a woman adorned in all of her beauty as built by God. Never seen anything like her before. And there she is standing right in front of him. And when the text says, and Adam said, you can imagine his, his heart almost pounding out of his chest pounding with excitement and Adam cried with delight this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man and I'd be interested and maybe someday there's opportunity to ask her what she thought what did she say created by God man and there they are husband and wife what an encounter so much delight so much joy and gladness but not only the circumstances consider two little words we find in the text first now verse 23 does not say and adam said this is bone of my bones verse 23 says that adam said and this is Now, bone of my bones, now. That little word now can mean now at last, now finally. And the idea is not that Adam was becoming sinfully impatient with God. But the idea is, as all these animals start passing, passing, coming to Adam and he's naming them, it doesn't take very long And Adam comes to the conscious realization that he's the only one who's alone. And every pair of birds that come, and every pair of cattle that come, and all these beasts of the field that come throughout the course of the day, God is pressing it deeper and deeper into the consciousness of Adam. I'm alone. I'm alone. And I'm the only one who's alone. And the day goes on. And now when Adam opens his eyes and he sees this woman, he says, This is now, now finally, now at last, bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. It's a cry of delight. And then there's the word this, the near demonstrative pronoun, this. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones. That sounds somewhat cold and impersonal, but Adam doesn't want to use any term that will in any way limit 
the glory of this woman. Or use a term that will only call attention to some aspect of her glorious being as created by God. So he says, this, this one standing before me now for all that she is. From the crown of her head all the way down to the sole of her foot. All that she is visibly and externally in the body. All that she is spiritually and internally all the way down into the deepest recesses of her heart. This one standing before me now, bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh, she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. This is a cry of delight. Woman from the man. Woman for the man. And Adam knew it. He joyfully called her woman. God brought the woman to the man. That's our text. Now let's consider three points of significance in examining this act of God. Three points, one with respect to the man, one with respect to the woman, and one with respect to the God who brought the woman to the man first. With respect to the man, the main point of significance is that it is not good. It is not good for the man to be alone. Of course, there are exceptions for it is not the will of God for every man to be married. It is the will of God for some men to be single, and by no means is the exception inferior. It is God's will for some men to be single, and it's good. It's good for them to be alone. It's not good for them to be alone in the absolute sense of the word. It's never good for any man to be alone from Christ, to be alone from the body of Christ, which is the church. It is good for some men to be alone regarding marriage. In fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, the inspired apostle Paul extols the virtues of the single life and could wish that other men would be single as he is single. Because when you are single, says the apostle, you do not have to care for a wife and children And you can more readily devote yourself to the Lord and His kingdom. And that's what Paul did. And then you think of all of his missionary journeys and the thousands of miles that he traveled throughout the Roman Empire and all of the challenges that he faced. Just think of one of his missionary journeys. Just one. Now imagine him setting off with a wife and a family of children. Would to God more men would be single like me. And devote themselves the whole of their life to the church. For some, it is good to be alone with regard to marriage. While there are exceptions, the exception does not silence the rule of the text and the Bible. It's not good for the man to be alone. That's the word of God tonight for the single young men in the church.
ordinarily, ordinarily, the man without the woman is incomplete in his life. And the church must say that. It is not good for the man to be alone. Young man of marriageable age and circumstances, get married. And if you're too worldly minded, and you're too selfish, and you're too immature, and you don't want financial responsibility, and you don't want spiritual responsibility, then you need to grow up in the Lord Jesus. It's not good for the man be alone. And so pray for a spouse. And keep your eyes open to the leading of God who brings to every man his wife. And maybe all of us could do more to help young adults, males and females, be able to come together to meet one another. That they may find a spouse. Pray to the Lord and be of good courage. The Lord is good. But this is not God's word only for the single man, the young man. It's his word to every married man. Married man is not good for you to be alone. It's not good for you to be married legally on paper, but not actually in practice. It's not good for you. If you do not consciously feel your need for your spouse and communicate with your spouse and draw near unto your spouse and live with your spouse in the bonds of love, it's not good for you to be alone, always alone, always alone from your wife, always alone from your wife, alone and with your hobbies and interests and books and sports and recreation and screen, and what's on that screen? Always alone from the wife, and and with that alcohol? Alone from the wife, and running here and there with another man's wife? Not good for you to be alone. And it's not good for you to mistreat her cruelly so that she has to flee for refuge. Now you're both alone. And if there's any married man who wishes he never would have gotten married because his wife makes him miserable, he's miserable. There is so much power in the cross. Keep praying to God. Keep striving to reflect the love and the faithfulness of Christ. Speak in humility and wait upon the Lord. And to any man who's alone because God took your spouse, and this goes both ways, applies to male and female both ways, to any man who's alone because God took your spouse or your spouse ran off and abandoned you sinfully, There's so much compassion in our God. He sees, he knows, he's faithful. Trust in him. And if any church begins to look like the Roman Catholic Church and forces untold numbers of men into a vow of celibacy, 
and then reaps all manner of sexual perversion. The Bible needs to be declared loudly and clearly this. It is not good for the man to be alone. But it is good, very good, for him to be with his wife and live together spiritually, sexually, emotionally, psychologically, joint heirs of the grace of life, walking together and walking with the Lord. It's good. I say again, if you're alone, single, and desire a wife, wait on the Lord. Keep your eyes open. And let's help. Secondly, with respect to the woman, we learn that her glorious place in marriage is that of a helper. Again, there are exceptions. Not every woman will be married. It's God's will for some women in the church to be single, to live the single life. And even for the single woman, her role is helper. Not for a specific man as a husband, but in the body. The single woman is a helper in the body of Christ. That's a good thing. It's a beautiful thing. And the church prospers with such women. Ordinarily, the woman will be married. And God didn't make the woman to say to the man, I don't need you. He didn't make her to be a ruler, to rule her man, to be a boss, to boss her man, to be a nag, to nag her man, to be an arguer, to argue with her man to be a Facebooker, to Facebook her man into aloneness. A middle-aged man came to me a few months ago and said, help, my wife won't get off Facebook and Pinterest. What do you mean? She's on Facebook morning, noon, night, every day, every day of the week, even on Sunday. And when the two of us are in the car and she's next to me in the passenger seat, she's on Facebook. She won't get off. Well, of course, the question is, well, what are you doing to make her want to be with you? I do. I try. Can we play a game? Can we go on a walk? Can we just talk? She won't get off Facebook. God didn't make the woman to Facebook her husband into aloneness. He made her a helper. He was fit for her man. He made her to look at her man and say, this is my man. God gave him to me. From the crown of his head, all the way down to the sole of his foot, all that he is externally and physically in the body, all that he is spiritually and internally, all the way down into the deepest recesses of his heart, my man. And God made him be to be the head of me in this home. It's his calling to put bread on our table, to put money in our hands, so that we have something to give to the poor. And my man often has many responsibilities on behalf of the church, on behalf of the school, demands, stresses. Here I am. Woman, here I am. What can I do? What can I say and who can I be to make your life, my man, more enjoyable because 
God made me a helper who is fit for you. That's not bondage. That's not slavery for the godly woman. That's her glory. That's her role. And she delights in it. And if she ever begins to doubt and she supposes that her role as a woman is lowly and shameful, then all she has to do is go back to the beginning and understand that before God made the woman, God said it is not good. And as soon as God made the woman as the crowning masterpiece of the whole creation, then he said, it is good and I'm finished. Now I rest woman. Finally, with respect to God, we learn two significant lessons from his names in the text. I will not read all four references, but four times we read in the text, Lord God, Lord God, Lord God, Lord God. First, God That name in the text emphasizes all of his virtues as creator, who is a God, like our God, the creator. Everything, everything, everything. He made it out of nothing who is like him. The man, he forms him out of the dust of the ground. A rib. I give you a rib. You give me a rib. Let's take a rib, and who can have a rib and take that rib and build a rational, moral, spiritual, lovely, thoughtful, beautiful human being who's a female and more glorious than the sun, moon, and stars? Who can make a woman out of a rib? He did it. There's no one like our God He's a wise, powerful, and good creator. Let the whole creation bring doxology to our creator God. And second, his name is Lord in the text. Uppercase L, uppercase O, uppercase R, uppercase D. And you understand, Lord is Jehovah. That's the name that emphasizes and reveals him as the God of covenant salvation in Jesus And you won't find that name in the New Testament. But in the New Testament, you find uppercase J, lowercase e, lowercase s, lowercase u, lowercase s, Jesus. And you probably remember from catechism that the name Jesus means Jehovah or Lord, all caps, salvation. So this Old Testament name doesn't appear in the, well, it does appear in the New Testament in the name Jesus. So when you read Lord in the Old Testament, you need to think Jesus, God of covenant salvation in Jesus. Now, isn't that striking that the God of covenant salvation built a woman? There was no salvation yet. There was no sin yet. But the God of salvation built a woman. Not good for Adam to remain alone because as long as Adam is alone, God will not be fulfilling 
his eternal purpose of salvation in Jesus Christ. So the eternal purpose of God is to make a man and to make a woman, and they will fall into sin and become corrupt, and they will begin to have children, and the whole earth will be populated by human beings, and they'll all be corrupt. They'll all be ungodly. And according to his eternal decree of election, God will call out of that corrupt human race a chosen people, peculiar and precious to him, his people, and one day, God will cause the seed to come out of the woman, the seed who is the Son of God, eternal, made incarnate in the womb of the Virgin Mary, the Savior Jesus, and He will come and suffer and die for all of these elect people. He'll be raised again the third day, having reconciled them unto God. He will ascend into the highest heavens, and at the end of the age, He'll come back on the clouds of glory when all of the elect have been gathered, and He will take them and lift them up into the new heavens and the new earth, and there they will all be, all the wicked and the demons will be cast into hell. And all God's people and the holy angels will gather around God and worship Him. And God will be all in all in Jesus Christ. That's His eternal purpose. How? How will that be accomplished? When He's alone in the garden with Adam. It is not good that this man be alone. I, God of salvation, will make him a woman and fulfill my eternal purposes. And God be thanked that he not only brought a woman to the man, he brought a Savior. Because Adam needed that Savior, and so do I, and so do all of you. No one here tonight is living perfectly in holy wedlock or the single life. We all need blood to cover in God's sight our sins. <clears throat> and we all need the Spirit of Jesus. God be thanked for Pentecost. <clears throat> we need the Spirit of Jesus so that all of us can strive every single day to be more and more faithful in holy wedlock and in the single life. And so that we and our children can know Genesis. Children, so that we can know Genesis and in these last and evil days, by the power of the Spirit of Jesus, stand fast and with conviction, believing the truth of Genesis regarding man and woman and marriage until Jesus comes again. God, keep us faithful. Amen. Let us pray. <clears throat> Father, we thank Thee for the Bible, for all of it including the book of Genesis with its opening chapters, establish us firmly on the foundation laid in these opening chapters and do not let us waver for Jesus' sake. Amen. <clears throat>